0: Hi, my name is Paul Crandall and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey. And we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc@isunrise.com. at That's my personal account. And I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're gonna find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. Morning, happy Easter. You guys look so good. So good. Especially this side of the room. Yeah. If you could give tips to this side of the room, they're doing okay. They could do better. No, I'm really excited that you're here. I'm 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 excited for many, many reasons. One reason I'm really excited is I get to learn today how to deep fry a turkey. Now some of you are like, oh, like that's dangerous. You don't trust me? You know, like Welcome to Sunrise, where they don't trust their pastor to deep fry a turkey. Very excited to do that with my family and some friends, so that's going to be exciting. Also, very excited to have Pastor Omar here. He's going to come up at the end of the service, Pastor Israel. We're going to pray a blessing over him. Our entire Easter offering is going to Pastor Omar and the work that God is doing at, uh, in Nyssa. So this is our first granddaughter church. As, as sunrise so we're excited to replant this church so every penny that you give this morning is going to go to that work so we're so excited for what god is doing man and god has gifted them a building so i mean I, a church planner's dream is to start with already a facility ready to welcome people so just so excited can we give god just a round of applause for the work that he's doing what a cool 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 opportunity And of course, I'm excited because it's Resurrection Sunday, right? It's Easter Sunday. And Easter makes the most bold claim that has ever been made in human history. If you just think of Easter kind of in its most simplest form, we have a a dead guy who came back to life. on top of that, this dead guy who came back to life also said that he was God. And on top of that, this dead guy who came back to life, who said he was God, also said that he would resurrect you if you believed in him. That's pretty wild, right? Now think about that for a moment. That has to be the boldest claim in human history. That a dead guy came back to life. I've never seen that. I don't know if you've seen that. I've never seen that. That that dead guy who came back to life was God, and that that dead guy who came back to life and said he was God, also said he would do the same thing to me that just happened to him if I believe in him. It has to be the boldest claim ever in human history. What would cause you to believe that? How much evidence would you need to trust in that bold of a claim? I have to be honest that I've asked myself this question a lot. Uh, Before I became a Christian and even after I became a Christian, I've been a Christian for uh, over two decades... And I still ask that question. How much evidence is enough to believe in the bold claim of Easter? I've often thought to myself, man, I wonder what it would take for my friends and family members who aren't yet following Jesus. What what evidence would it take for them to believe What can God do? How can God show up to show them that this dead guy who came back to life is also God and that this dead guy who came back to life who's God also made the claim that he can resurrect them too and they should trust their lives over to him for all of eternity? What would it take to kind of tip the scales in the favor of them believing? What evidence would it take? How much evidence is enough? Because this is a bold, bold claim. Well, as you saw kind of in our graphics in the video before, if you got to service on time, you know, now that wasn't a dig, okay? I didn't come in till the second song, so I was late, okay? But we're going to examine a conversation that Jesus had on the first Easter Sunday, approximately 2,000 years ago when you think about it. On the first Easter Sunday, two disciples were leaving Jerusalem, and they were sad. They were depressed, and they were leaving the city of Jesus' death and burial depressed. And on their way, they have a conversation with Jesus. And in this conversation, two things are going to show up for us. The first thing is this. We're going to see that these two disciples, they have a criteria. They have a standard of what they think is enough to push them over the edge to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they'll present to us their standard of what enough is. But the second thing that will be shown to us is Jesus, in his conversation with these two disciples, he'll share what his standard is. Now, these two disciples, they're going to say very clearly, we want to see him. We want to see Jesus alive. We'll believe when we see. Now, that makes sense to me. I mean, I know if I was a disciple in the first century world... I saw Jesus die, and then I saw him buried. If I saw him alive again, yeah, easy. Checkbox, I believe. Now Jesus is going to say, you know what? The standard is not that. Now it's true. Many in the first century world saw a resurrected Jesus Christ. But there's a different standard, and it's not seeing. Rather, it's hearing, which leads us to our big idea for today. So if you're going to write down one thing, I want you to write this down. The big idea is this, seeing is great, hearing is enough. Seeing is great, hearing is enough. I think everybody in this room, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, no matter where you are when it comes to your commitment with Jesus Christ, I think the first thing would be easy for all of us to say, if Jesus wants me to believe in the bold claim of Easter, if he showed up in my living room, showed me his wounds and his scars, then I would believe. That's an easy one, You meant seeing would be great. But you know, millions of people have believed in the claims of Easter since the first century. Millions. And millions of those have not seen. Rather, they have heard. They've heard the testimony of those who have seen. And I think Jesus in his conversation with these disciples, these two disciples, is going to show us the importance of hearing. Of hearing the witness of Scripture. So if you have your Bible, jump to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, we're going to walk through this journey, the road to Emmaus, a very interesting conversation where Jesus reveals to us the standard of enough. What's enough evidence to believe in the claims of Easter? So let's start. This is Luke chapter 24. I'm in verse 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's going to be on the screen so you can follow along with me. Let's read together. It says, That every, that the very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they said, st- They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, so what's going on? Let's just set the stage here. Luke gives us time and place. He says it's that very day, which we were just told prior to this story, is the story of the tomb of Jesus Christ being found empty, first by his female disciples and then by Peter. So we have this empty tomb moment, and then we have these disciples that very day that are leaving Jerusalem. Now, if they're leaving Jerusalem, it's probably because they're sad, they're disappointed. They're discussing things among themselves and they reveal to Jesus, who they don't know it's Jesus yet, that everybody in Jerusalem is talking about one thing. One thing. One thing is on their mind. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, died. He died and now his tomb is empty. What does this mean? And as Jesus is concealed from them, they're surprised that Jesus wouldn't even ask this question. Like How do you not know of what has happened in the city of Jerusalem, in the city of God, in the city of David? How do you not know what's happened? The whole world has been, and I guess in their mind, the whole world, has been in a buzz about this one man who was a prophet. This one man who was a great teacher, a miracle worker. He died. What a weird thing for a hero to do. And he died without a fight. It's not like he died in battle. But rather he died... As a sacrifice, he kind of yielded himself up. Why would he do that? So they're bewildered and they're leaving the city of Jerusalem. They're probably about an hour, hour and a half away from the city at this point when they have this encounter with Jesus. And as they're having this encounter with Jesus, a really interesting phrase is used. Look down at your Bible or back at the screen. Look at verse 16. It says, but their eyes were kept... From recognizing him. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. What is going on there? Like, is it just bad vision? Like, they went to the DMV and they're like, okay, read line one, two, three, four. And at the bottom is Jesus Christ. Like, I can't make it out. What is that? He's got a beard, crown of thorns. Like, why can they not see? Well, it's a very interesting phrase, and I think it's really important for us as we examine what is the burden of proof, if you will, or what is enough evidence to believe in the claims of Easter. Because they are kept from seeing Jesus. Kept by who? It says they're kept from recognizing him. Okay, I'm going to get a little nerdy just for a second, okay? I do wear glasses, and they are real. It's not just a fashion thing. So this, is, this is a badge that I'm a nerd a little bit. Okay, what this is when it says their eyes were kept from seeing them, this is a construction often used, a grammatical construction often used in the New Testament. It's called the divine passive. The divine passive. I know, not a phrase that you use when you're texting your friends or you're tweeting or whatever. The divine passive means this the idea is that an action is expressed as happening to someone, just like in verse 6. But their eyes were kept. So their eyes were kept. They're receiving the action. Their eyes are being concealed. But see, the actor is not mentioned. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So who is doing the keeping? This is a construction that would allow the authors of scripture to still revere God. So they would put these phrases in the passive so they wouldn't have to name God. In the sense of they were keeping God revered. They were honoring him. So the readers of the New Testament, of Luke's gospel, would know when they read this, who is keeping the eyes of the disciples from seeing? God is. Now that's weird. Isn't it? That's odd. Why would God keep them from seeing Jesus? These guys are sad. We're told that they're sad. They've gone away from Jerusalem, defeated. Oh, our, our Savior, our Messiah, the hero we've been waiting for for so long. We watched him bleed out. We watched his body lifeless. His chest no longer moving to capture air. His head hung down. He was dead. Our hero died. Why would God keep them from seeing the resurrected Jesus Christ? If seeing is so great and so important and so much the standard, then why did he keep them from seeing it? Look at how the disciples, as they speak to Jesus, will explain to Jesus what their burden of proof is. And their burden of proof, their sense of what is enough, they'll say seeing is enough, which is so weird because who is keeping them from seeing? God is. How strange of a day Easter for them. All right, look at the disciples' conversation with Jesus. We're in verse 19. And he said to them, what things and then he said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a, he was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They, they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying... That they had even seen a vision of angels. Look at this last phrase. Who said that the, he was alive. Sorry, this next verse. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But, they did, but him they did not see. Him they did not see. These disciples lay out for Jesus. Again, they don't know it's him yet. Their eyes are kept from seeing him. Right, somehow on the road to Emmaus, they drop their contacts, so they can't tell who Jesus is. And they explain to Jesus, "Here's all the evidence we have. Jesus was a prophet, and he did mighty deeds. They're talking about his miracles. He fed thousands. He he called people's names, and they came out of tombs." People who were blind could now see after interacting with Jesus. People who who couldn't walk could now walk. People who were sick were now healed. This guy was mighty in word and deed. And it led us to believe this is the hero we've been waiting for. For hundreds of years, thousands of years, the Jews had been waiting for a hero, a redeemer, as they call him. Who would come and free the Jews from Their oppressors, free them from their sin, bring them back into fellowship with God. They've been waiting for this moment from the very beginning of their story. And so these two disciples just admit we thought he was the guy, but then he died. And then his tomb was found empty, but nobody saw him. So if we were going to ask these two guys, what would be enough? What would be enough proof for you to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What would they say? We got to see him. We got to see him. An empty tomb, that's not enough. Miracles, it's not enough. Prophecy, they call him a prophet. And I think what they indicate to us when it says, and on the third day, it's now the third day, I think that's the phrase they're using, referencing some of the prophecies of Jesus. Because even in Luke's gospel, who's writing right now this account, in Luke chapter 9 and in Luke chapter 18, he records Jesus saying, I'm going to die, and then three days later, I'm going to rise again. And then these disciples happen to say, man, it's the third day, and we're really sad. I think that's a reference to they're waiting for Jesus' prophecies to become true, and they're not. I mean, put yourself in their shoes just for a moment. You're waiting. You're a devout Jew. You're waiting for Messiah. You're waiting for the hero. Rome has come in. They've taken your land. You're just a people honestly have been dominated since you lost to the Assyrians and the Babylonians. For hundreds of years, you had a small kind of piece of, of, of rest under the Maccabean reign, but that was short-lived. And now you're under oppression, you're under now Roman oppression. It seems like you just keep trading dictators, you keep trading oppressive regimes, right? And so now you're waiting for Messiah to come, and then this guy comes from nowhere, I mean just nowhere. And he starts doing things, you're like, this is odd, but this sounds like stories of Moses, it sounds like stories of Elijah, This sounds like stories of David. This sounds like all those stories that are grandfathers and grandmothers and fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. All of these things we've been rehearsing for hundreds of years. This sounds like the guy we are waiting for. And as he enters into the city of Jerusalem, the city of a king, he's crucified. There's no enthronement. There's death. You saw his body come off of that tree, right? Off of that cross put into a tomb and now it's empty but he said before he died that he'd come back on the third day well here we are it's the third day and all you have is news that the tomb is empty man no wonder they're hungry to see a risen Jesus they're just confused they're depressed they're sad you know I think we could stop here for a moment and say, even though we don't know what it's like to be in their shoes, I think we know what it's like to be confused and to be disappointed. I think everybody in this room could say, there's a part of your story that you would say, I don't understand. Right? I look at this world and I think to myself, there has to be design. There's so much beauty in this world. Things are just put together so well so intricately put together there's gotta be more the history of mankind is recorded by many who have said there's more than just this there's more than just us and maybe you've had that inkling in your heart maybe you thought it was just something of your childhood but it's progressed into your adulthood and you're always wondering there's always this kind of question mark in your brain isn't there more I feel like there's more there's so much beauty but then we get this other part of there but there's so much brokenness at the same time too I'm hurt I've been hurt and I hurt people and there's a lot of people who are hurting so how do I explain this beauty in my story and this brokenness in my story I don't understand and so as we wrestle between the two we're either thrown into depression if all we do is obsess about the brokenness or we're thrown into really a false optimistic view of the world if all we see is beauty everywhere. And so we're in the kind of this tension between the two, and we're kind of left with this question mark that the disciples had as well. I don't know what to do with this Jesus, this man who changed history. I don't know what to do with him. I don't know what to do with this book. How do I live in this tension? And so I'm confused, I'm disappointed. I don't know if my my life could have more beauty and less brokenness. I don't know. and We found ourselves in that kind of state. And yet for some reason, maybe similar to this, God seems to be keeping what would convince you of the truth of Easter. Just like he kept himself revealed, or sorry, concealed the son of God. Why would he do that? If they say, if we see, we'll believe. And the thing that's keeping them from seeing is God, what do we do with that? It's because Jesus has a different standard than just seeing. Hearing is Jesus' standard. Look what Jesus says to them. Wonderful, kind Jesus. Right? I think sometimes we tame Jesus down a little bit. But you probably would not invite Jesus to your birthday party. I don't know what to do with that. You don't know what to do with that. You're like, do I laugh at that? Is that appropriate to do on Easter? What I'm trying to say is this. There are times that Jesus speaks. You're like, wow, okay, set the mood, Jesus. Here's the moment, right? They're sad. They're depressed. Our hopes are are dashed. We don't know what to do. There's an empty tomb. What do we do? Look what Jesus says in verse 25. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones. Good bedside manner, Jesus, (laughs) right? He doesn't sit down. Well, this shot's going to hurt. He's kind of like, yeah, it's going to hurt, but it's better than dying, right? Okay, here you go. You imagine like my five-year-old had to just get shots. Imagine if I gave him that dialogue. This will be painful, but it's better than death. (laughs) Good bedside manner. Jesus, just right up front. Notice what he says. He doesn't say, well, the problem is, again, you lost your contacts on the road to Emmaus. You just can't see me. That's not what he says. He doesn't say seeing is their problem. He says hearing is their problem. Right? Look what he says to them. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Hearing is their problem. Now, it's very interesting word choice that Jesus has here. Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart. That's interesting. See, in the Hebrew mind, the heart was the center of commitments. It's very similar to us, I think, in the English-speaking world. When we say, I love you with all of my heart you don't say I love you with all of my mind that would just be weird it's not very romantic don't try it okay you're not going to win anybody over with that but loving you with my heart means I'm loving you with my devotion and my commitments at the center of who I am it's not just me about knowing the facts of who you are but committing myself to you and this is where Jesus says the problem lies oh foolish ones slow of heart to believe your commitments aren't correct your heart is not aligned to me You have not listened to the prophets. Let's keep reading. O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets had spoken, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27 And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. This is so weird. Right? Do you ever read the Bible and kind of set it down and be like, what is going on here? I find like all the time. And I've read the Bible a lot. And there are still times where I'm like, Jesus, I don't understand here. Why are you doing a Bible study with them? Like you're the resurrected, victorious Jesus Christ. And they've already told you their criteria. If we just see, we'll believe. And Jesus says, okay, so you want to see? Open your Bibles to page 37. Talk about Whiplash. But you see what Jesus is saying here? I think what Jesus is doing this. I think Now Jesus is going to show himself. He's going to reveal himself to these disciples. We'll see that in the very end. But I think Jesus takes time, slows things down and said let's study the scriptures. Because I think what he wants us to realize is the persuasive nature of God's witness to himself in the scriptures. Jesus is elevating this book. Moses and the prophets You need to hear this witness. This is enough. This is enough, right here. You don't need more. You don't need to see me. You need to hear. Hear these words. That's enough. Jesus made this point in this very same gospel in Luke chapter 16. Again, another very interesting conversation. I'll summarize a little bit of the story that Jesus gives. So Jesus is telling this story. There there are two people who die. There's a, a rich man and a man named Lazarus. Okay, If you're thinking of the story in John 11 of the Lazarus that he brought back to life, different Lazarus. Apparently that was a common name in the first century world. So there's this different Lazarus. So this Lazarus dies and then a rich man dies. And this rich man goes to a place of torment. And Lazarus goes to a place of comfort. And as he's at this place of comfort, he's accompanied by a man named Abraham. Abraham is an Old Testament character who's long been dead, but apparently is alive in the afterlife. And so this poor man, Lazarus, is standing next to Abraham. And then this rich man, who is in a place of torment, has a question to give to Abraham. Very interesting story that Jesus tells. But look at how surprising this conversation is. And think about that idea again. How much proof is enough? How much evidence is enough? Seeing a resurrected body, that seems like it would be enough. But look at this exchange that happens. This man in torment. So we're in Luke chapter 16. I'm going to read verse 25. Sorry, 24. So the rich man in torment says, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip Uh, uh, his finger in the water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in these flames verse 24 or sorry jump down to verse 27 and he said then I beg you father to send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that he may warn them least they also come into this place of torment so what is this guy saying I don't want my brothers to be here I'm in torment. I realize that I chose the wrong way, the wrong path in this life. I don't want my brothers to be here. So he says, Abraham, Abraham, can you do me a favor? Can you send Lazarus back from the dead to go tell my brothers that their way of life will lead them to where I'm at? So what are, what's his burden of proof? What is his evidence? Give them someone they can see who died and rose again. That'll be enough. Now look what Abraham says back. I think very much the posture of Jesus on the Emmaus road. This is what Abraham says back to him, verse 29. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Interesting phrase, right? They have Moses. Who just said that? Luke just recorded that, that this is Jesus' Bible study right here, that he had with those disciples on the road to Emmaus. He went through what? The scriptures, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them, what? Hear them. He thinks it's a seeing problem. If they just saw Lazarus come back to life, everything would be good. Abraham says, no, 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 it's not a seeing problem. What problem is it? It's a hearing problem. They're not hearing Moses and the prophets. The man in torment persists. He makes his appeal again. And Abraham is even more clear in his reply. Verse 30, and he said, no, father, Abraham... But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. No, it's not a hearing problem, Abraham. Problem is what? It's a seeing problem. Then Abraham, in the same kind of tone as Jesus says in verse 31, and he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced that someone should rise from the dead wow seeing is great hearing is enough now i don't think abraham and i don't think jesus are saying it would it's bad To see the resurrected Jesus Christ. No, no, no. I don't think the gospel writers would say that either. We see in the gospel of John. When Jesus resurrects Lazarus. It says that many believed. I don't think what they're saying is. It's not persuasive. When somebody comes back from the dead. I don't think that's what they're saying. Because we know many hundreds of people. Saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. In the first century world. But millions have believed since then. Who didn't have that privilege. So they would had to have a new type of evidence. And what was their type of evidence? They heard the witness of those who first saw Jesus. I think this is what Jesus is saying on the road to Emmaus, guys. Seeing is great. But hearing the witness of this book is enough. And it has to be enough. For millions of people over 2,000 years, this has been enough. Let's close out the story though. Go back to Luke chapter 24. Just to show you how Jesus ended the story with these disciples. We're in verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed it. He broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. Interesting. Their eyes were open. Finally, God stopped keeping their vision from them. Revealed Jesus to them. Their eyes were open. They didn't figure it out. God allowed them to figure it out. Isn't that interesting? Their eyes were open. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? While he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures, we were hearing. We were hearing and and our hearts were cut. And they, they rose that same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. They had to run seven miles sprinted, probably did it faster the way back than the way there. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. So these are the disciples saying, We saw him resurrected. And these guys are like, No way, you're not going to believe it. We saw him resurrected. (laughs) Then they told him what had happened on the road and how it was known to them in the breaking of bread. So Jesus shows up to them. He still thinks seeing is important. He thinks seeing is great, but he believes hearing is enough. I think this is a very important lesson for us to learn on Easter. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I think we could take a really good principle from this passage. A really good principle. Like, I know as you're trying to share your faith and you're trying to tell people why you believe and why you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, and you're hoping to invite them along onto this journey. I wonder if you have found yourself in a very similar situation that I, I feel like I always find myself in. And that is this. I'm trying to search for the convincing argument. Right? I'm trying to search for that, that kind of that, that holy grail of evidence. right? If I can just get down to the cosmological constants that for some reason are fine-tuned in this universe for life to be permitted. I know that's super nerdy. I told you I have the glasses to prove it. But I know I'm like that, right? I'll just read and I'll read and I'll read and I'll research and it'll be beyond me and then I gotta look at YouTube and then I gotta talk to my kids about it because they're smarter than me so they tell me the answers, right? And I just keep thinking, if I just find that holy grail moment and I'll say, see? Here it is. You know what I need to remind it of? Just let them hear this. I put so many things in front of this book What I'm trying to tell people about Jesus. Like I think of if I'm just charismatic enough, persuasive enough, I choose the right terms, I'm nerdy enough, I'll convince them. What would Jesus tell me if I was on the road to Emmaus? They have the scriptures, right? They have Moses and the prophets. They have my disciples who wrote down what they heard what I guided them into in the New Testament. They have this book, Paul. Let them hear it. Let them hear it. Yes, it's important for you to share your story. It's important for you to share your beliefs. It's important for you to share your experiences. But share God's word and not just your word. In fact, I have to tell you, my dad who happens to be here, he flew up here. I don't know, where are you, Bobby, in the room? Right there? Bobby, stand up. That's my dad. I know if you could see him, yeah, he's awesome. I know what you're thinking right away. Yeah, we look exactly alike. We get that all the time. People are like, are you guys twins? Yes, we are. It's the cheekbones that give it away. I think people realize that there's something that, that my dad does that I think is just really powerful. And, and it's, a, it, it's a, a challenge I'd like to give to you, an invitation I'd like to give to you. One of the things I love that Bobby does he'll meet somebody, and just he's a charming personality. You wonder where I get it. And he'll talk to them, and he'll just say something like, Hey, will you read the Bible with me? I mean, this book has shaped human history. There's no more influential book than this book right here. Bestseller, top of the charts all the time. If you're just going to live in this thing called human history, you should probably read the book that shaped most of it. It's been so impactful. Would you journey with me? Let's just, you know what? Let's just read the gospel of John together. And let's see what God does. And you would be surprised the amount of conversations he has. In fact, we were hanging out last night and he's like, oh, hey, I got to go to bed early because I'm reading the Bible with this group of people, this group of people, this group of people, this group of people. And as I was thinking about the message, I was like, that is a perfect example I've let God speak. Hearing this witness is enough. It's enough. So just put it in front of them and invite them to it. I know you probably have one person in your life, one person in your life, in your friend circle, your family group, that you could say, hey, would you read this book with me? Would you read the Gospel of John with me? I'm starting to go to church and I'm really, really liking it. And I'd love your opinion on what this book says. Like. Would you read it with me? And watch what God does. Let the word of God be the word of God, because hearing, hearing is enough. Now maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're just starting to kind of piece things together, or maybe you just came here because a friend invited you, or maybe just mom invited you, it's like it's Easter, son you have to come. You're not getting a Christmas present if you don't come to me, come with me to church. I don't know what it is. Let me just say right up front, if you came because somebody invited you, thank you. I, I don't think you maybe fully know how honored your friend is or your family member is that you said yes to their invitation. Okay, I want to be up front with you. I'm not going to try to convince you in one day to give your life over to Jesus. But here's what I am going to ask you to do. Ask your questions. Come here. With your doubts your hesitations and your fears bring your questions walk the journey with us you will not be disappointed because the easter claim is i know it sounds too good to be true but friend it's too good not to look into i know it sounds too good to be true a dead guy came back to life that dead guy was god and he promised to do the same thing for you if you believed in him that sounds crazy But if that's true, but if that's true, that is the greatest news ever. It is way too good not to look into. And you know where you can look into it? Right here with us. This is a safe place for your doubts, your hesitations, and your fears. I know I'm bragging on my dad again, but I came to church really angry. And with a lot of questions and a lot of doubts. But I came to a church that was a safe place for all of those things. And they put up with me. Said a lot of things I shouldn't say in church. A lot of words you're not supposed to say in church. Did a lot of things you're not supposed to do in church or out of church. But it was a safe place for me. And I remember having a conversation with Bobby. And he told me this. He said, Paul, if you never believe what I believe, I'm still going to love you. And I'll tell you, that changed everything. Because I knew that this relationship... I knew that this relationship was a safe place. And so I went to church not believing. I wouldn't sing the songs. I'd just stand there like, mean face. Like the whole time. And that's okay. Like if you got a mean face when we're singing, it's fine. The band doesn't care. They're looking past you. Okay? Okay. <laughs> But I'm being serious that I want this to be a place that you feel your curiosity can find a safe place. If you never believe what I believe, I'm still going to love you. If you never believe what we believe, we're still going to love you. If you never, you never follow Jesus Christ, we want you to know this is a safe place for your questions. But do me this favor. you got to look into it, right? It's just too good not to. I'm going to pray here in a moment, and this is what I want to invite you to. The band's got three more songs prepared. They're great songs. We're very excited about that. We're going to pray over Pastor Israel, and that's going to be great. Or, sorry, Pastor Omar, and that's going to be great. But during these next three songs, I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite you to sing. But I also want to leave open the first couple rows here in our auditorium. And at these first couple rows is our prayer team. And anytime during the song, whenever you feel comfortable, it's fine if you stay where you are, that's okay. But if you want prayer, the team is prepared for you. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're like, you know what, Paul, I'm going to take you up on that challenge. I'm going to read the scriptures with one of my friends or family members who I know is open to it. If I just ask him and say, will you read John with me? I bet they'll do it. If you want prayer for that interaction, all i ask you at any time during these next three songs, just come forward. Sit on the front row. One of our wonderful prayer team partners will come up and they'll pray for you. And then if you're not yet following Jesus, now this one might be scary. This might be your first time here. Again, I'm going to invite everybody to stand and we're going to sing. If you're not yet following Jesus, but you're curious, I invite you to do this pray a curious prayer. Your prayer could just be simply this God, if you're real, show me your truth. God, if you're real, show me your truth. I believe God would love to answer that prayer. Now, I know that may be out of your comfort zone, but hear me. What have you got to lose? This is a safe place. You're not going to walk down the aisle and somebody's going to be like, Facebook Live, ooh, look, see see what Johnny's doing? Why are I going to put you on blast like that. You come, sit, and just tell somebody next to you, hey, I don't know how to pray, but he said pray a curious prayer. So I got questions. Will you pray for me? And then watch what God does. What do you have to lose? Five minutes of a prayer? Three minutes of a prayer? I think that's worth, I think that's worth learning about your eternity, learning about the witness of this book and seeing if the Easter claim is real. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for the, uh, just the awesome work of Easter. What a bold claim. What a crazy claim. What a, we could even say outlandish. I mean, it is outlandish to think that a, that, that a dead guy came back to life and that he was God. And then he claimed that he could do the same thing for me that it just happened to him. What a wild, outstanding, and wonderful claim that is. And Father, I thank you that the more and more I've searched out scripture, the more and more that I've stepped into study, you've just confirmed that over and over again. You have not given me every proof, but you have given me enough proof. And so, Father, I pray for everybody in the room right now. Wherever they're at, wherever their journey is, whether they've been a committed follower of Jesus Christ for years, Father, I pray for them right now. I pray for those followers that they would say to themselves, what's that one friend that I can invite on this journey? And Father, I pray you give them courage. Maybe they feel like, oh, this is awkward. I don't know if my relationship can, 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 can handle this. I pray you give them courage and boldness just to invite in. Just to invite in to a journey of reading the scriptures. And Father, for those who are not yet following Jesus that are here, Father, I'm so excited they're here. I remember coming to church not believing anything that they believed, not being even willing to sing anything that they were singing. But Father, I found a safe place, and I pray that sunrise will always be a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So Father, I pray you give them courage as well. I pray as we sing that they would... They would come forward to sit on the front row and say hey i haven't got all this thing figured out i've got so many questions i've got so much doubt maybe they've got some pain in there too father i pray that they would pray that curious prayer god if you're real would you show me your truth god if you're real would you show me your truth i think you're i think you're smiling right now in heaven because there are so many who are already thinking that thought in this room today Maybe right now they're praying with me. God, if you're real, show me your truth. You don't hide from us, God. If we seek you out, you don't hide from us. So we ask you to show up today, show up this week for so many. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.